<laughs> took a couple times, but we got it. <laughs> you know, I sometimes just hit play instead of record. Yeah, and then you talk for a couple seconds and realize it's not recording. Yeah. That, that's actually one of my biggest fears, and it's actually something that I've seen happen multiple times with other podcasts where they finish a great episode, and then they realize they forgot to record it. That would be, like honestly, one of my biggest nightmares is that we get through an entire episode, and all of a sudden we look back, and there's not a single recording going on. I think that just happened to Tony Hinchcliffe. Oh, poor dude. Or I think they did something. I think uh, one of the stadiums or one of the arenas they were doing their Kill Tony thing at, yeah. they, they broadcast it as well, didn't record it. I don't know what happened. So Yeah. Once again, I, I, I he tweeted something, and it brought up a fear inside of me that... I have. Yeah. Well, at least that's way we can figure it out real quick and just watch the screen and see if the bars are going. So that's always a plus. Yeah, it's, it's a technology's. It's a strong point, but I'd rather focus on wine. Could be worse. Could you imagine if we were doing this? I don't know. Back in when was radio invented? Early 1900s, 1800s. Let's assume that I have no idea what I'm talking about. We'll go with 1900s, and they had to record something onto vinyl, and you missed the needle. And your entire recording was totally missed because nobody placed it on the vinyl to be recorded. <laughs> I mean, essentially, podcasters were just the early, same thing as the early radio guys. I mean, yeah. think, think about the war, the war of the Worlds guy. It's a- gone H-G full Wells. circle. Full, full circle. It's gone full circle, yeah, where everybody's kind of coming back to that long talk format instead of, hey, guys, welcome to radio. Now on the show, we've got some guests that you don't care about and a bunch of songs you don't want to listen to. Let's play this for the next 17 hours and the same song 27 times today and go. Yeah, a lot of the talk radio guys throughout the 80s and 90s, they filled in blank space with music still. I think, yeah. the, I think the only person that really stayed real, I mean, of course, Howard Stern always stayed real to talk radio. Can you imagine how many local DJs, though, people would have had back in probably the 70s where they could just talk and then eventually be like, oh, by the way, I found this band. They're really cool. Check it out. This is their newest song, whatever. And they put it on. They could actually promote a song without being commercialized because it was just what the dj wanted to play in that moment nowadays you go on the radio and honestly i'll listen to npr occasionally but if i listen to like kiss fm or one of those things i'll hear the same song 27 times in the day so i went straight to podcast so i can listen to all everybody just talk well i don't think that they can play any type of music anymore it's all limited to what they can play well their main corporate sponsor like in this case it's clear channel who owns a ton of radio station goes, here's your programming. Uh, we're going to, we want you to play these specific things throughout this time. And then we want these songs played during this time of day. And traffic is between four o'clock and seven o'clock, which means there's a lot of adults out there. So we'll play more like adult music. And then the kids are listening to radio at this time of morning. So play like pop music. And I guarantee they have it down to a science of, Oh, at this time, play this. And at this time, play this and whatever. Well, I think, I mean, the radio people back in the day, they, there were royalties that were still paid out based on playing somebody's music. Music, but the reason why somebody wanted to be played on radio is because they wanted people to go to their concerts and then buy their albums. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, th- th- that business has completely changed. Yeah. So, so you're making your money, I think, off them playing on the radio, and then the person going, you know what, I don't want to listen to this guy talk on the radio anymore. I'm going to go download it on iTunes or this. And so that's how I think they're making their money now. Probably. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, and it's all through the internet. It's no longer through that. The radio was their form of advertising. Yeah, and most of their money now actually comes from touring on that, whether it's their, um, uh, not necessarily royalties, but like their merchandise, shirts, T-shirts, things like that. Honestly, if they sell a CD, if anybody even buys one, they're probably not getting more than a couple pennies on it at Uh, this point. A a great friend of mine who's actually in the music industry said that uh, the way people make money nowadays is just purely licensing. That is how yeah. you uh, have to do it. You have ringtones and things like that. That's it. It's <laughs> commercial. A, a commercial. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, the big time for an artist is getting their music on a movie trailer. Oh, yeah. Or an introduction or like like a, the opening credits or closing credits of a movie. Yeah. Because then you're also, I think, getting paid royalties if you work it out yeah, right long term. Yeah, it's weird because now the median or if you go back and the only way you could listen to a song was the radio. And then if you liked it, you bought a cassette or a vinyl 45 or whatever it was at the time. You never would have heard it any other way unless somebody dragged you to a show randomly. Nowadays... You turn on a commercial, hear a jingle, and go, "Oh, I like that." And it turns out it's a band you like. You can, you know, Shazam or whatever the thing. Soundhound uh, was it? Soundhound is the one I got where I can click it and it listens to the song for a second, tells me who it is. But then you have every single possible app on your phone you can listen to. Um, I know I've got. Uh, I used to have Sirius XM in my car, so I could constantly find new things without commercials. There's a million ways you can find music, versus back. You know, 30, 40 years ago, you had to buy a cassette, CD, or something, and that was it. And right. it probably was expensive to have a cassette player a long time ago. You went to go buy that CD or that cassette, and at least a couple pennies of it went into the artist's pocket. Now yeah. I could now I could just jump on YouTube and or jump online. I could download it, and they're not making any money off no, of it. No, they're not. I point. mean, maybe if it's their own... If it's a newer person and a new band, maybe a younger band, they'll at least maybe get some advertising revenue from a YouTube. But if it's an old, old band, they... Well, they probably already have a ton of money, but they're probably not getting much either. Actually, old bands didn't own the rights to their music either. A lot of them don't, yeah. I mean, even some of the big names we know of, people like, you know, the Beatles or Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. like, they, they've they had their music taken yeah. off from underneath them. Yeah. Licensing, man. It's it's amazing how other people can make money off of your own product. Well, <laughs> that, that's the reason why Fish has also been so successful financially, uh, is because they own all their own music, and they're one of the few bands that actually owns all their own music, and I don't think they really license much out. Probably not. They'll rent out. They don't probably need to at all. They'll rent out some tweezer reprises for some Michael Phelps videos once in a while. Mm-hmm. But if they were commercialized, let's pretend Fish was a commercialized band, and whatever studio owned them and recording label had their rights, and whatever manager was out there that was working for them puts them in every commercial around the world, and their songs are playing on radios around the world. They'd be billionaires, but they'd also be, you know, instead of slave to the traffic light, slave to the recording industry. You're right. Yeah. You're dropping fish references. Dropping now. fish references. It's happening. Yeah. Speaking of fish and things that go with fish, white wine for tonight. What are we drinking? Well, we are having Argami, well, maybe? Last episode, we talked about how John butchers the names of everything. And so we're so going to continue that trend. But we also talked about the, the most talked about varietals on social media. Uh, Syrah, uh, Cabernet, and Zinfandel. Zinfandel. Totally understand Merlot. Don't understand. Suave. That was the yeah. one that we were drinking on the last one. But Zweigel and... Uh, Verdejo. Yeah, I know. I can't Verdejo. Still, I still cannot believe that that's one of the most talked about varietals on, so, on social media across Twitter and Facebook analytics. Yeah. Well, so... so. I guess uh, you can guess which white wine we're trying tonight. <laughs> we're going with the Verdejo. So um, one thing I do want to mention before we actually get into this Verdejo is importers. Importers to me are very important because I don't know every wine out there. I don't know every region out there. I consider myself a wine professional, but I am no way professional about when it comes to wine. Um, Often when I'm going to a wine shop or I'm out in public and I want to buy a bottle of wine, I want to get something good, but I'm not sure about the region. I gravitate to the importer. Right now, I, I, there's three, four, five great importers from Europe that I trust. <laughs> they can put their name in the... They have to, by law, put their name in the back of the bottle of wine anyways. So when I walk to a French section, I start spitting the bottles around. And when I see 
a selection from Kermit Lynch, I know that this is going to be a quality wine. So that's just because I don't know a lot about French wines. My, my specialty is Italian wines. I know that when I flip around a, an Italian wine, I'm looking for one or two or three importers. If I get those one or two or three importers, I know that no matter what wine is in their book, they're going to choose the best. Because a lot of these European regions, there's a thousand wines that want to be represented or a thousand wineries that want to be represented. These importers choose the one or two best. Some people just go for the dollar. But some people just go for the, the quick buck. Other people truly care about the quality. So I bring this up because I've always considered Jorge Odonez a top quality importer. Um, I've been very pleased by a lot of the selections that I've pulled out of Jorge Odonez's book. Um, when you showed up with these today, I first thing I did when I grabbed you the bottles, the back of the label. I looked yeah. at the importers, and as soon as I saw the Jorge Odonez label on this, I was like, "All right, this is going to be a this sh- this should be a good wine." I haven't tried this yet. I've smelled it once or twice. So what are you thinking of the smelling? I see you. Uh, oh man, it hit me. It hit my nose real strong. I had tons of salinity on that one right out of the gate, but now it's blowing off. Also, I have a just because I've been working in line so wine so long, I have a like a real strong nose towards sulfite, so I can really kind of right out of the gate get it. And it definitely blew off, but the first thing I smelled was like kind of that sulfur. It's definitely gone. Um, it took a second. But I'm just so used to it because I'm always around it. That is kind of like the first thing I go towards. Like whenever I have a red wine, the first thing I always notice is the oak on it. I can always smell whether it's American or French half. Like honestly, if somebody puts some in front of me, I could be very close to getting, you know, whether it's American or French. And I know it's a 50-50 thing and you're smiling at me, but I'm like, we're going to like, do it. probably test. toasted high enough. Yeah, we could do a test this of certain ones. Yeah. We're, we're going to do a test. I'm going to have six wines up here. And we're going to pour them for you. And I want to have you guess. Yeah, which French and, or uh, which oak it is. Yeah. And we're going to make a bet. We'll, Fair enough. We'll, we'll, we'll find some bet, some sort of not, some not, not terrible monetary, but maybe a cool bottle of wine, or like you have to drink a smear, twenty-two ounce Smirnoff ice or something that's warm and been sitting outside in the sun. Yeah, we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll come up with some bet. I want to see that. I don't, I don't, I don't think you'd get fifty percent. I bet I get most of them right. Yeah, as you know what, I'm confident. I trust to know you, I look at. but some I, I'm gonna, You're, I'm gonna pull out some Hungarian oak. I'm gonna pull out some. <laughs> I'm gonna get it. I'll probably get close enough to the toast on it too. Some chestnut, some hickory, <laughs> chestnut oaked wine. <laughs> I guess technically it's not oak then. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> it would not be. That oak. would be very, very wrong. <laughs> no, this uh, this one, I w- it was definitely way more perfumed than I thought it was gonna be. It's um, it's got a really powerful nose on this one. So what are you thinking? I'm thinking if I blind tasted this, I would. My first thought process would instantly go to like an Albarino. Just from the nose. That it, I mean, it is so bright, floral, white peaches, uh, flowers, but like yeah, white, a, lot white, of, a lot of white, floral, white, white, white flowers, not purple flowers, not purple flowers, not green flowers either. Not green flowers. I don't know. Are there green flowers? I'm not I mean, a, I'm not a botanist. There's, I mean, technically, there's, there's a lot of people in California, Oregon, and Washington. I guess marijuana would flowers. be a green, a green flower. flower. You're yeah. right. This it's a green flower that can be purple or white. <laughs> this does not smell like a green flower. It does not smell like green flowers. <laughs> Man, poor green flowers right now are getting burned up in Mendocino. Everything's getting burned up in Mendocino. California is just naturally on fire at this point. Okay. So we're going to have a lot of black flowers later, probably, from all the ashes. I mean, it's pretty far up there, but there's some wine growing up there. Up in Mendocino? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots in Mendocino. Pretty good. A lot of but good white wines. I'm surprised there's not as much sparkling wine from that area. But I think where the fires are hitting, it's mostly where the weed is grown. 
The state's going to be even higher than it should be. <laughs> right. Everybody south of Oregon is going to be like, this is amazing. They're putting it out really slower. <laughs> <laughs> this fire, man. We just too, can't put it out. Too, too soon? Yeah. It's still burning. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Obviously, it burns half the state to the ground at this point. It's, I guess if we haven't pissed off somebody, it's not been a podcast. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, so to all you people over in North California, sorry. But, no, you know, our, we're our, from the desert. Everything's already super hot, so it's really hard to burn everything already down when it just doesn't want to exist here anyways. Yeah, no, I mean, our thoughts are with you. I have friends up in that area. I had friends that some of the other wineries from last year when this happened. I mean, it's brutal. I mean, yeah, the, I went the, to Napa last year. The winds. St. Thomas Fire in Santa Barbara burned everything to the ground. I'll tell you, so when John and I were driving to the gorge a couple weeks ago, the there was a, a brush fire that started that just completely devastated this whole hill and they actually closed the highway for a good 24 hours. This, from the time it started to the time they closed the highway, was a matter of, what, 40 minutes? It was so... It was quick. That, it was like insanely fast winds. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we saw it like maybe an hour before we got up towards where the fire was. I couldn't... We were dead stopped on the highway, and I couldn't have the windows down because the wind was coming through so fast with the car. Oh, yeah. It was like I was getting slapped upside the head. Thank God the wind was blowing south. Otherwise, we would have got caught in the fire. But if those winds are going through, if even a small amount of those winds are going through Mendocino, man, I couldn't imagine going Yeah, the firefighters up there. There's also that run in uh, the one that's in Redding, California, so that north central valley area. That one is huge. It's like the ninth largest fire right now. I remember I thought I'd seen someone, and I'm sure somebody will say something about it later on, but uh, the St. Thomas fire, that Santa Barbara one that went through, um, well, pretty much all mid-California, they just put it out like two months ago. That's how small that it became, but it just kind of kept going. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Thank God we're in a state where there's nothing alive to keep burning most of it. Well, So the Verdejo, mm. it says old vines on the bottle. So... In America, we don't have a law as to what old vines are. I don't think the Spanish have a law either for old vines. Yeah, I don't know. I know we don't. I know people use it. I wonder what old vine Verdejo is. Because old vine Verdejo is probably not as old as old vine Zivendel. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it in a few places where they've said old vines and they mean 30, 40 years old. I've seen a couple places do uh, ancient vines and they actually stand by it being older than 50 years. So the back of this one says, Sandy Soils, so that they're saying that these vines are more than 100 years old and they're planted on original rootstock. So clearly, they're definitely old. (laughs) So no phylloxera. No phylloxera. I can't say that. Phylloxera. There, there you go. go. Hey, I said something right. Only took three episodes. Yeah. but um, I'm, r- I'm writing this date down because we're going to celebrate this date next said year. said something appropriately. Hooray. I guess I coached you a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, right. No, but I mean, I, honestly, I can't think of any places in California that have a ton of old vine, white wine, anything. Maybe a couple Chardonnay places I've seen um, have some really old, 100-plus-year-old vines. I mean, granted, obviously, you know, we had a prohibition, so everybody probably ripped some stuff up, but... Well, also, people realize they could make more money planting Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, we talked Chardonnay, yeah, we talked Pinot Noir. A little bit about this on the last episode, like how people ripped up you know, plantings, and some people saved Charbono and some of these other stuff because they realized, at the end of the day, you can make more money with Cabernet. Mm-hmm. I get it. Try to save your farm. So I'm gonna. Uh, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to say what I'm smelling right now, and I bet some people are going to lose their mind, but it smells like... Have you ever been to a pool at like a hotel... 
where somebody, they just dumped all the chemicals into it and you got that quick whiff. It kind of reminds me of what this is. I don't get, you know, it's funny. And I don't want to say chlorine because it's not chlorine, but. No, when you first started saying that, it did, growing up back east, I remember pulling the cover off. It does, you know what it smells like? It's the plastic scent I get out of like a pair of swimmies. Like, yeah. Like, you know, when you open up a uh, a pool, like an inflatable pool toy, yeah. and you get that plastic scent, yes. like that new I'll, plastic Because originally scent. I wanted to say it smelled like if you ran water through like a brand new set of like rubber balloons or something. No, you nailed it. it. It smells like a brand new set of swimmies. Yeah. That's what it reminds me of like as a kid. Like By swimmies, do you mean floaties? I mean those things you, you put, put on, on your, your arm. Yeah. Wow, that's such an East Coast. You call them swimmies, we call them floaties. <laughs> I think that's what we call them. Well, that's what yeah, I remember them as. <laughs> There's going to be some people. It's like when uh, you ever been to anywhere outside of, um, uh, well, not just Arizona, but like people from the South call, oh, can I get a Coke? And what they mean to say is like a soft drink. But I'll get a Coke. Oh, what do you want? Oh, I'll take Sprite. But like up north, they call it pop. In some places, they call it soda, but it's all the same thing. They just mean a soft drink. It was just one, a different term. It was one of those things that blew my mind when I moved to Arizona because when you grow up in a town, everybody says the same thing. And when you go somewhere else and people are looking at you weird because you're saying this, or you're, yeah. you're looking at other people weird because they're like, th- there was a mixture. Yeah, it was soda and pop and yeah. Coke. Some I, people, some people, Coke is everything. Like, can I get a Coke? Yeah. Like, what kind of Coke? Like, not Yeah, dude, that's me. I, I do the two. I'll be like, all right, can I get a Coke? And some people are like, all right, what would you like? And I'll be like, all right, I'll take a Sprite tonight. And I don't know why I grew up that way. I mean, my mom lived in Georgia for a while. Everybody says Coke and then they ask what. But like everybody I knew from the Midwest, so you know Michigan, Minnesota, pop. they all say pop. It's weird, and it just sounds weird. Oh, can I get a pop? And you're like, okay. And then if you're from Minnesota, some people say like, they say such a hard O. They're like, can I get a pop? And I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, it was soda for us growing up. Everything was soda. Soda. Yep. All right. So New York is soda. The South is Coke. Arizona's a probably a there's mixture a, of everything. There's a map online I know that people put together like what yeah, probably is what. Yeah, I've seen it floating around. Oh, there's actually a map. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> of I course c- there is. There's something for everything. I can understand why this would be one of the hot wines that people are talking about or tweeting about. Oh, it's great because it's it's very giving. It it's very very fresh. In it's the glass. very refreshing. It's it's got a ton of aromatic. When you drink it, there's a moderate level of dry sweetness and what i mean by that is there's a slight fruitiness to it but it's not sugary sugary there's not sweet it just has this little bit a lot of acid in it yeah it's got a it's got a good amount of zing but it's also like a slight oily characteristic like you get like that little bit of like a greasiness around the inside of your mouth I, i know what you're talking about i attribute that to having just it's a big bodied white wine you know it's definitely clearly grown in a hotter climate um the alcohol's not coming off like crazy, which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, this is this is a great summertime wine out here, and I'll honestly, I'm I'm enjoying this. See, it always kills me because white wine drinkers are sometimes the hardest ones to convince to drink something else. Yeah, they you stick know, with what they want. Uh, uh, we've talked about this. A red wine drinker, you could pretty much give anything to at any point, and they'll say, "Sure, I'll try that." Like here, try this 14 grape blend. All right, where's it from? Turkey. Awesome. I'll try it. But a white wine drinker who drinks buttery Chardonnay, you try and give them something outside of what they normally drink, and they kind of look at you like, is it buttery? Is it Chardonnay? I don't want it. Or same thing with like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc drinkers. And I'm talking about the masses. I'm not talking about the wine professionals and the people that are, you know. Yeah, your average person who comes in and they sit down at my wine bar and they'll say, oh, can I get a Pinot Grigio? And if I don't have any then it's uh, it's very difficult to get them to try a, an oak shard or even a saw blanc because they don't that's not what they want that's not what they're used to 
I think there's only there's really three varietals that are white that people use as references also. Yeah. Like does you're like, oh, does it like what is this? How does it taste? Well, is it like a Pinot Grigio? Is it like a Pinot Grigio? Well, it's got a little more fruitiness. Is it like a Sauvignon Blanc? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there it's there's always like those three references that everybody uses. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Chardonnay side, it's weird when uh I started noticing more and more people kept drifting into the unoak Chardonnay, which I think has been great because then from there, I think you can expand. I think with a really good unoak Chard, if you get a good high acid like Chablis or even a couple up in Oregon, you can get people to branch from there. That, I think, is the bridge of sending people into, you know, Chenin Blanc, Saw Blanc um, kind of territories versus if you like your oaky, buttery Chard, I... It's weird to for somebody to say, oh, I like really high oak, high butter style Chardonnays. Ha ha ha. And I'm just like, I, I've i got an oak Chard. It's not going to be what you like. And they're like, well, do you have something similar? And no, I, I really, really don't. <laughs> I don't have something similar to that. I could sit outside and drink this all afternoon long. Yeah, it was only 115 today, you know. It's probably good out there. I mean, I could, I could drink this at night. Well, we're drinking it. I mean, sun's down. It's dark out. We're drinking it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could sit around with my friends and drink this all evening long. Like, it's a very refreshing wine. Yeah. The it problem really is. the problem I have with this wine is that to me it doesn't taste like wine. It does, but to me this wine would go down so easy, especially if you, you put it in that red solo cup. A red solo cup, man. This it's bottle would be gone. be gone in a second, in no time. So, is I'm still trying to grasp my mind why this is the one varietal that is more tweeted about now, versus other. Well, I guess. More than Sauvignon Blanc, obviously, because that wasn't on the list. I think, especially with younger people coming in and drinking more and more, that they kind of want to get away from the norms. They know Sau Blanc, they know Pinot Grigio, they know Chardonnay, so they want to be that person of, oh, look what I found, and I and I just discovered this new wine. And, you know, Spain's probably doing a decent marketing job. And I imagine somewhere somebody famous had something somewhere. I was like, oh, check out this wine and there, there's whatnot. Some, there's some... F- you know, fairly famous Spanish restaurants and Spanish chefs that have been in the news a bunch. I know that Jose Andres did a lot for cooking for people in Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of... Maybe it's the fact that you're seeing more Spanish restaurants pop up. Probably, yeah. Tapas became kind of trendy there. Yeah. Maybe, Definitely. Maybe the fact that this wine isn't overly expensive. I mean, this is what, in the $10, $12 range? Yeah, it's, you know, $15. 15? Ironically, this is one of the few wines that you could really oak up a lot. You could treat it, you get a big enough body onto it, put it through a little oak treatment, and you'd probably hit your oaky buttery style Chardonnay people. It's definitely going to be different, but this is something that could, honestly, with the body on this, it could handle a decent like amount of oak onto it and not be crazy. Like there's some why like you would never put a Viognier through like Can brand I? spanking new oak. I mean, I know some people do, but I am that's my that's my I, I am subtle seconds poke away from turning your mic off for you even saying that. <laughs> Let's just stoke all the white wines. <laughs> so anybody listening want to be my co-host on spilling the truth now? <laughs> I nope, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> I think I'm officially looking for a new co-host after that statement. <laughs> You uh, are done. We're going to have new co-hosts <laughs> all the time. Every day, that's it. New co-hosts. <laughs> See how many times I can, I'm going to end up firing you per episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, this way, here's one for this one. We're only like 20 minutes into it. Yeah. You have chosen. Nope. I'm sticking by my statement. Poorly. I'm sticking by it. 
I think you would. I'm gonna go find I, an oak for day one day. I, I, there, I'm sure I guarantee that they're out there. I mean, I've been shocked with some of the wines out there that I find that are oaked that I hear that like. There's definitely been times where people have been like, I oaked this suave or mm-hmm. I oaked this. And I'm just like, wait, you oaked a white wine? Well, what was what was the oak Pinot Grigio we had? Yeah. It wasn't from, bad. It was pretty decent. Vita Romance. Yeah. And it was Romato. So it was like a pink oaked mm-hmm. Chardonnay. Pinot Grigio. That's what I meant. Yeah. You're fired. It's so it's so <laughs> weird to say oaked Pinot Grigio. My yeah. my your brain my didn't mouth want it. and my brain did not process nope. that. Like wasn't having it. Somewhere sending like this like the synaptic charge down. It said nope. <laughs> you're not calling it Pinot Grigio. Yeah, you're like that doesn't make sense. I'm out of here. <laughs> well, because often I don't think before I speak. I just speak. So when the synapses misfire, <laughs> the wrong thing comes out. It's gonna get so much worse <laughs> as we have drinks too. <laughs> no, this is uh this is nice. I mean. It's what like the I think it's like the fourth or fifth highly produced white wine grape in Spain. Because honestly, if I'm sitting here thinking of Spain, most people will think Tempranillo. Geeky people might think of Sherry. Uh, some people might think of Cava. But beyond that, you know, I'm not sure what people are thinking of the wh- wine wise for Spain. The white wines that go in Barino. The white wines yep. that go into Cava and the white wines that go into some of the regional wines will be the most produced. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure stuff like Viura. Uh, but who Macabeo. drinks? Yeah, but who drinks those by themselves or single bottles? Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, uh, there might be producers also doing cavas that are single varietals out there because usually they're the True. blends of the three. But they still call it cava, so it's not like it's not like most people who would drink a cava would know what that grape was. Like most people have no idea what grapes are in champagne. So every time I tell people, you know, it's Pinot Noir or Chardonnay or Pinot Meunier, and it's a blend, and I got that one right. Um, they're yeah. shocked. They're like, wait, what? Don't, how are there two red grapes in there? And they mean one because I don't know what Pinot Meunier is. Everybody's like, what's that grape? Pinot Meunier. Pinot Meunier. I'm calling it Pinot Meunier. You're like, I got that right. There's a bunch of people out there going, no, you didn't. Well, I meant Pinot Noir and Chardonnay <laughs> got right, not Pinot Peter, Peter, <laughs> Pinot Meunier. <laughs> Damn it. You say Noir, but then you say... M- Meunier? Yeah. Meunier? Great. Yeah, awesome. Drop the R in one, keep the R in one. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, but so yeah, I mean, it's it could be confusing. Wise, I, I've definitely seen a few places around uh, some restaurants out here that have Albarino for a lot of their wines, but that's probably the only white. Change the podcast from spilling the truth to butchering your varietal. Yeah, I'm gonna have my own podcast and do that. <laughs> well, the, five well, minutes of Jonathan pronouncing <laughs> things that he can't say at all. I mean, I am horrible at it. It's one thing I said when I got in the Italian wine business. I'm like, I'm gonna butcher this. Just get ready. There's going to be some listeners out there one day that go, I can't take enough of this shit. Oh, why'd you get, why'd you stop listening to him? Because he can't say anything right. <laughs> we just need to have like a, a linguist on. He'd quit immediately. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, the what, I mean, honestly, listeners out there, I would go to a Verdejo super fast. I would drop Pinot Grigio and go to this. This is, yeah. this is a little more expressive it just has so much more going on there's so many more high notes and mid notes what i mean by that is sometimes wines can be a little boring you're like oh it tastes great it's it's refreshing but there's not a lot of uh crazy nuances in it it where falls apart on the end and you're like okay well yeah some wines just don't have a lot of nuances and there's places for those wines where i think that with this wine and this varietal you can spend eight to fifteen dollars and get a wine that has ups and downs and peaks and valleys and lefts and rights which is pretty amazing yeah so i'm gonna i poured that last little bit and 
I'm going to let that warm up and see what opens up, and then we'll move on to red now and so see this, what this, this is. This is one of the other shocking things. So one of the most, one of the other most spoken varietals was Zweigelt. Jonathan, are you going to say it? No, because you just <laughs> pronounced it probably the right way. So why? And it's not even Zweigelt. It's Blauzweigelt. It is Blauzweigelt. Blauzweigelt. So. Qualitastweinschrocken. So... God, I'm gonna. If I thought French was bad, I cannot wait to get into German and Austrian and Czechoslovakian wines. I, I, I still think that there's got to be some famous guy out there whose last name is Zweigelt. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, I saw be a politician it. or something. No, I saw it. There, it is. It's a dude that I had read about that his name was. Is he was, a soccer player? Was he, he in the cross World bread? Cup? Yeah, probably. No, no, I know. But there's there actually is a. The guy who invented the varietal, like that's Whew, part of his I name. I finally just smelled that. That smells funky. It's gotten a little more hay-y. Hay-y. And I'm not saying that like I'm going to the club. Dude, I smell a lot of black pepper on this, by the way. A lot. Almost, a lot. Uh, almost like a uh, coat roti. I mean, yeah, you're right. A tons of black pepper. Honestly, the, the, it reminds the, me the, of a Gamay grape a little bit. The funk, when we first opened this, we poured it into a glass, and it was a little funky and dirty at first, and that blew off super fast. No, I'm actually, honestly, it does. It reminds me of, we had an Oregon Gamay, and it, it had that black pepper note and all that fruitiness to it. This has definitely got a large fruit nose to it, but the that white black pepper smell pops out a lot at the end it, so it, the more it, this warms up i'm sure it'll do that it's light in color which is kind of nice like you could definitely mistake this for grenache or gamay it's not as light as a pinot but it definitely yeah i'm gonna i feel like i'm gonna enjoy this one i've never even had one of these i honestly never even heard of it until you had mentioned it in um that social media context so the other zweigelt that i had was actually a red sweet wine which to me now does a very big disservice now to the wine because somebody could go and buy the one I used to represent that's red and sweet, go, man, this is delicious, and then buy this one, and this is a different uh -huh. wine. So, yeah, for, for listeners out there, I'll, I'll, a little information for you, if, especially if you're buying Austrian or German, and I'm assuming probably Hungary as well. Um, if you like dry wine, look for Trocken um, or Trocken, depending on who's listening. Uh, that means it'll be dry. Um, that way, for our case in this one, we are having a trokin wine. So it's dry and it's not going to be sweet at all. Because when I was looking, there was a couple options and one of them was sweet. The other one didn't say anything. And I saw this and I figured, well, why not take the chance? Plus, the bottle is ridiculous looking. <laughs> this is the tallest bottle I think I've seen. Yeah, it is a very tall bottle. Yeah, it's unnecessarily large, like tall. You know, that's so difficult for retailers because, you know, you build your shelving to fit certain things. Yeah, there's this one. Do it. You put that into your wine fridge, and that's the only bottle you're going to get into that one part of the shelf. You wouldn't be able to put another one behind it. Whatever. So this is Blauer's Weigelt from Kellermeister Private. And if there's a guy out there named Kellermeister, well, hopefully that's how you pronounce that right. And it's from the Niederösterreich region, which is a Damn it, how pretty did you pronounce famous that region for growing grapes in Austria. I mean, this, this is coming out of a very a quality region. That's good to know. Yeah, because obviously being a big fan of Gruner Vetliner, uh, another Austrian wine, I'm, in, I'm excited to try a red wine from that region. What's funny, you were talking about Gamay earlier, and as soon as you had said that warning, like little like alarm started going off in my head. I was like, you're right. It does smell like 
and it was Cru Beaujolais is what was popping up in my uh, head. Yeah, yeah. It was some of uh, I had a couple Ooh, from that's tasty from uh, Julienne, one from Saint Amour that had that real peppery nose. Um, it does remind me of some Rhone style wines like uh, Cote Roti. On the palate, though, it does not have the acid, and it doesn't have the... Definitely not a lot of acid to this. No, and that's actually, if anything, to me, I would say that that is the the drawback for me on this wine, is that it doesn't have the, the zippiness to me. That's what I like. I, I love my high-acid wines. So, um, yeah, for this, uh, with a like low acid, it doesn't come off crazy flabby. <laughs> nice, dude. Uh, it doesn't come off like flabby at all, but it's definitely on the low acid side and the tannin isn't much. There's not much to it. Tannin wise, I'm getting just a little bit of tannin, but the, uh, it's definitely a bigger body to me, but the ton of flavor in it, like I can still taste it. And I took a sip like 20 seconds ago as a long finish, which is kind of nice. I feel like this is one of those ones where you, you have this with food and it'd be fantastic. So the, the tannins come in really late to me. I, I would like to have this, with something before the night gets started. I don't want this with rich foods. It doesn't have the acid to me to pair with uh, wild boar bolognese and echingale, as the uh, Italians like to call it. Yeah. So it, something like wild boar takes a lot of... You need some acid to go through that. That's why, that's why one, it's, of the, it's, one, of, one of the most served dishes in Tuscany is going to be like a wild boar ragu. And what's the most served grape is going to be Sangiovese, which yeah. is high acid. They just work together. Yeah. It's We're funny you say that since I just had wild boar for the first time tonight, which was actually pretty delicious. I mean, I would have this with just like some fruits and cheeses on the patio, like in dusk. I would this to me. This wine is a good aperitivo. It's okay. good to have. I don't want this with my braised short ribs. I don't want this with. I could have. It, I could see it going with fish because it is to me still. The flavors, the 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 backbone is very delicate still. It doesn't have the structure of a big cab. It doesn't have the structure or the acid of like a Tempranillo. Yes, definitely you know, doesn't. The, the other night we went out to dinner and we had a bottle of uh, Psy, PSI. And it was a Tempranillo from Spain. And that wine had great acid. I mean, it had great backbone structure. It wasn't fruity. It wasn't... No, I thoroughly enjoyed that wine. I thought it was great. Especially the fact that... I, I can't remember what you were eating. Honestly, I don't even remember what I was eating. But I remember the whole time I was thinking, wow, I'm really enjoying this wine more than the one we had before with my food. Even we had a couple friends Oh, I had that, the filet. That's what it was. Yeah. We had a couple friends who were not huge... Uh, wine people, no. you know, uh, they like their big fruit bombs. Yeah, and they, they enjoy wine. They enjoy drinking wine, but they're not. They don't try two thousand bottles a year by any means. No, they definitely. They're the type of people where, and I, it's my buddy Ryan, and I love that kid to death. And I like he. He's a good wine drinker. You know, if we poured him something nice, he'd be like, "Oh, this is amazing." He couldn't. He wouldn't know what it was, but he can definitely appreciate it up to a point. But he loves his big Jamie wines. Like he's the dude who goes to Trader Joe's and gets like a really good bottle, but it's a big fruit bomb. He's a fruit driven kind of a wine drinker for the most part. Like he had the uh, we had, what, what was the one we had before uh, the Chapelet Mountain Cuvee, and you know it's a good cab, but it was a big fruit bomb versus the Sire was your more built and structured wine. You say that, but. When we opened the side and he switched the side, he gave me that look like, now yeah, we're talking. Yeah. Like, because he he'd, got he'd it. never had it before. Yeah. Like, and I know him. I know the Tempranillos he would be drinking would be the stuff you'd get for $10, $15. So pouring that one for him was a treat. <laughs> and I mean, Tempranillo is also all over the board. You, God, can, you could get a massive Tempranillo that needs 15 years to age, and you can get a Tempranillo that is Hoven, that's a, a, a light little fruity wine. Yeah. 
Man, that pepper is really coming out in this one. God, your first zygote experience. I'm liking it. I'm actually enjoying this. I mean, to be fair, we're going to have... Uh, what's this Jancis Robinson book he got here? There's like a thousand some varieties we're going to try and do every one. But this thing, man, like... I'm never going to have one I absolutely hate, but I'll probably have a few wines that I'm like, oh, this was so poorly made. Or, you know, I won't crap on anybody's if it's really terrible. So I got this book. It's Jancis Robinson's Wine Grapes book. I'd say drop it on the table to give people a perspective of how thick it is, but you might break the table. <laughs> I officially removed the bat from behind my door, and I'm just going to put this book behind the door. <laughs> This, this is my new home protection. Dude, if you had like a puma coming at you, you could kill that thing if you hit it. So uh, 1,183 pages, <laughs> hard covered, and it's 1,368 wine varietals, their origins, the flavors, DNA breakdowns, what it's related to, everything. It's more technical. I'd say it's not for... It's not casual reading by any means. No. <laughs> this mean, is this is what a, a like an advanced or master psalm would use to study. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what even what a master psalm would be able to get out of that book cuz that is the most in-depth wine varietal book I've ever seen. <laughs> they just walk in and burn it to like I never want to read that again. <laughs> I mean, we set a kind of a an, a goal for ourselves here on the show is that we want to make a list of all 1,360 something varietals and try and try them all. You know, it's funny. This is literally, <laughs> literally, this is literally the very last uh, one grape varietal. Yeah, it's the very last one, Blauer Zweigelt. So, and on the bottle, we were looking this up. It actually says Blauer Zweigelt on the bottle. And I was curious if it was a blend of a type of Blauer and Zweigelt, but it's actually a synonym. Some producers actually just call Zweigelt Blauer Zweigelt, yeah. so depending on where it's produced. Because there was actual grapes just called Blauer, and it's spelled B-L-A-U-E-R, but when these are together, it comes out as it's just, it's just Zweigelt. It's just a synonym for it in this case. Yeah, I'm liking this one. This is kind of nice, you know. What's so unique, you know, in Arizona, I don't think you we don't want to drink big structured backboned wines in the summer. It's just too hot. You come inside, I don't want to eat heavy. I want to eat fish most nights. I want to eat something heavy. Thanksgiving dinner does not sound good to me in the middle of August in Arizona. Yeah, however, I'll go to Chipotle every day if I possibly could, which is about but, as heavy as a Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> but imagine adding gravy and mashed potatoes in your Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> that now, now it's gone to the next level. Now, oh my god, you don't want it. You go to Chipotle on Thanksgiving and they have a turkey, gravy, potato, sweet potato burrito. Ooh. Oh, you might be into something now. Yeah, you like, might, you'd be in a coma in about an hour. That, that's fantastic because you're gonna have a seven dollar burrito and twelve dollars in toilet paper by the time it's all said and done. Oh god. By the way, try the white wine now. It's definitely opening up now. It's warming up a little bit. By yep. the way, Chipotle, uh, if you wish to sponsor this, I will happily eat a free burrito every single day at your place. God, seriously, I'm addicted to Chipotle. It's a problem. It's an actual problem. <laughs> I mean, mostly for like my health, but <laughs> it's no, I delicious. Fi I find it funny that both you and I can quit sugar completely. Yeah. Like morning, noon, and night. We can, we can go through withdrawal symptoms for two weeks, shakes, headaches, uh, irritability. Quitting, and then get quitting sugar was impossible, too. But no, but we can quit sugar. But when it comes to Chipotle... Man, I still get the shakes. 
I'm telling you, they put something in there that every day I'm like a fiend. I start scratching my neck and I'm like, I need some Chipotle. But they don't have this. So, so like Tyrone Pigums, but for Chipotle. Chipotle's not in every state. They're definitely not in every country. So the people out there are listening, this is, this is like a quick food burrito where you get to choose what type of meat, what type of salsa. You want cheese, you want guac, and it's fast. But they're n- no drive through. Nope. But all their food is. Uh, you know what though, Chipotle did. I think, and this is totally opinion. I think they changed the game on how you get food because you could sit there and visually see the twenty ingredients you could put into it and pick and choose what you want. Like, and now you notice that you get it at pokey places, sandwich places. Oh, I guess maybe Subway may have technically invented. Yeah, Subway was doing that way before. Yeah, but we forget about Subway. Five dollar footlongs. Oh, the greatest thing ever in college. Yeah. I think Jared kind of ruined them. I think they're still in <laughs> hiding. Subway's like, we're not going to advertise for a yeah. long time. Nope. No. But with Chipotle also, I mean, they had an issue where they were having trouble getting uh, non-hormone-raised, I think, pigs for their carnitas. Yeah, so, so they, they stopped, got rid of it for a while. They stopped serving carnitas completely for, like, months. Yep. Because they they said, we're going to stick to our values, and we're not going to go with a product that we don't believe in. And I respect that company a lot for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, Even though I never ordered carnitas and I was happy because I usually just get chicken. I don't think I've actually had any other thing than their chicken. I've had the steak. I've actually had their sofritas. Dude, there's a place I got to take you to. It's called Mucha Lucha. I think it's officially the best authentic, like, uh, like junky Mexican. And not junky in like a, like a McDonald's way, but like, you know how like most great mm. Mexican joints are here? A little back alley like places because, you know... Like any Mexican food, like a Macayos or a Garcia's in a big giant chain account scene, these ladies and the guys behind there make it right on the spot. It's seriously one of the best burritos I've ever had in my life, and it's in such a crap part of an area. Mucho Lucho sounds like a like a spoof restaurant on a real Mexican restaurant. Like <laughs> like when you go to like like the Midwest to you know middle of like America Tennessee and you go to eat uh, like a Chinese place and it's called like Mr. China like happy, <laughs> happy food what did, what do we have one of those noodle palace or something like I that? mean some of those are pretty good I mean there's there's the noodle joint in Old Town that we go to that's awesome like I think it's Chris called Noodle House I think yeah Noodle House that's the Noodle House is. awesome yeah, yeah Noodle House Honestly, is good yeah it, who needs NyQuil? Like, I don't take drugs like like pharmaceuticals. When I get sick, I don't take anything. Do you know what I do? Noodle, Good noodle house. Noodle house. You got a hangover? Noodle, noodle house. house. <laughs> Dude, you know the other ones that are like that, that cure hangovers, anything that end in Ertos. Yeah. Rallybertos, well, Filibertos. It's mostly because you get such horrific diarrhea no, no, that no, it no, clears no, your no, whole no, system. No. <laughs> now, so this is officially three episodes where you've definitely mentioned the word diarrhea on all three episodes. This is probably going to happen. There is definitely seven out of something about you with diarrhea. I'm telling you. And we learned that there's the most misspelled words in each and every state, and the most misspelled words in the mis- most bis- misspelled word in New Hampshire, according to Google, is diarrhea. You know what's funny? Because it's probably rare when they have it up there, so they misspell it. But in Arizona, it's not misspelled because everybody gets it from all the delicious Mexican food we have. God. God, I love the state and its food. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's we probably have some of the best cheap food out there. I mean, so the South has good cheap food too. Well, we have just such great Mexican food. But that's like, and even a good amount of Asian food creeping in. Uh, the term gourmet Mexican is like an oxymoron. <laughs> I got. Yeah, I, it's it's more like if gourmet Mexican is mostly like Americanized Mexican, like yeah. Chipotle. No, there was the uh, elephant. 
place. There was a, it was called like the Elephant. I don't know. There was a place. There, there was a there was a corporate Mexican place that had been floating around for a little bit. I don't remember that. What was the Asian Mexican joint? Still open, Sumo Maya. Sumo Maya. Yeah, that was a cool concept. I actually yeah. enjoy their food a lot. I'd eaten a Guy Fieri's place too, like uh, Tex Wasabi's. Like that place is pretty that. good. No. Shout out to people in Texas, by the way. Your Tacos Cabana, your Taco Cabana. I think that's the right one. Yeah. Uh, it's like the like cheaper version of Chipotle, and it's so good. I got dragged to Texas for uh, ACL, which was a super fun concert, and they took me to Taco Cabana, and man, that's some good Mexican food. So it's crazy. <laughs> Excuse me. That's a chain, too. Because. Arizona, we have such amazing burrito houses everywhere. Everywhere. But Chipotle is still super popular. Yeah. You go back to where my family's from in upstate New York, and the Chipotle up there struggles. I talked to my brother and sister, and they're like, yeah, I've been there once. It was okay. I'm like... Oh, yeah. We went to that one. Yeah. Yeah. But that's... It's it's, it's different. It's, it's almost like you put one of these corporate places in a place where there already is that culture, and it does well. Uh, Starbucks, I hear, is doing well in Italy, which blows my mind. Yeah, with all the ca- uh, coffee that they drink over there, that does surprise me. But going back real quick to the Chipotle in New York, what's the big food of not New York City, but New York? Like, is it barbecue? Because I noticed there's a lot of barbecue places up there. Upstate yeah. barbecue, but pizza. But down here, pizza. pizza, okay. But down here, how many barbecue places can you think of? I can think of, without a chain, two. And, and it's Little Miss Barbecue and Honey Bears. Honey Bears? Okay, and Dickie. Sorry, so three. That's it. There's the only barbecue places I can think of out here. Honey Bears has been around for a bit, and so is Dickie's. But Dickie's, I think, is corporate. They are corporate. Probably. There's um, it's a chain of some type, at least. Little yeah. Miss Barbecue was the first real local barbecue place I could ever um, remember being here. I mean, we've had a couple of places that were smaller that kind of... Like I said, Uncle Bears, I think is what the I one. I think that's Honey Bears. Or Honey Bears. You think of the one that's right on, right by the old castle that's right there by the airport. That one. Yes. Yeah. And then I was telling you the other day, I ate at the the people who own Acatillo restaurant. I ate at their Starlight Barbecue. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I gotta go there. I, but that's not that's not grimy barbecue. That's like fancy barbecue. I'm not. T- I'm talking where like you need 37 napkins barbecue. Like where there's 32 sauces on the. Th- by the way, we're forgetting actually one of the best barbecues. Frasers. Yeah. Yeah. Duh. He was just. On I worked food for network. him, and I forgot about it. He was just on it. Food Network. But you know what? He <laughs> sorry, he, George. He recently went You're really hardcore barbecue. Like he he was a smokehouse before. Yeah. Like that was my first bartending yeah, gig. Mayflower salads, like gooey butter cakes. Like. I want to have George on here just to remind him of all the amazing, ridiculous stories that I had. Like Fraser's Barbecue set me up for my entire restaurant wine life at that point. Yeah, I definitely have George on here. George is a, a really great guy, a great local personality. He does a, like a couple of the best charity events a year. His charity golf tournament every year Char- is Yeah, amazing. I did it a few times. That guy is such a great person. You know, I found out because the first couple charity events were some of the ones he did because I've been part of a couple of them. He had donated money also to bigger charities and donating to those big charities, like I always say, the money goes into the network's pocket before it goes into the charity's pocket. Yeah. Versus a local thing. So George had a hostess, I believe, that had died of a rare disease. And there was very little known about this. So George donated. He did his charity golf tournament for years, and all the money went to research of that disease. Yep. I mean, yeah. Honestly, George was the one person where if there was any one of the servers or bartenders or anybody having a problem, he was the first to ask like, what he can do to help. It was, it was one of the things when I moved to Arizona that upset me 
and shocked me that it wasn't because in New York, when you go to eat at a restaurant, there's always that local owner, the person who comes up and says hello, whether it's the 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 chef's mom or dad or the owner's wife or it's the owner himself who's like just there. There's that people get to know each other. You go to eat at a restaurant that's been there for thirty or forty or fifty or two hundred years because there's you you want to feel welcome. Yeah, we're here a lot of times. Arizona doesn't have that. Not Pe- a lot. People want to go eat at the new restaurant that just opened, and they're like, "Oh, I already ate there. I don't need to eat there again." Whereas, and when you the go in there, trendy stuff. And when you go in there, you don't always feel welcome, or you don't feel like they're recognizing you. Where there's mm-hmm. a few business owners recently that have embraced this. George has always embraced this of saying hello to every person that walks in. Franco's does that in Old Town too. Every person that walks in, he says hello. He seats them. He talks to them. I'll tell you right now, I've never once sat at the bar at Frazier's without watching every person come in and goes, where's George? Is George here today? Is George here today? Yeah. Yeah. Every time when I would work there, people would be like, oh, is George in today? And then hang out. And you always knew when George was around because you'd hear his ridiculously funny laugh off in the background of something going on. But how- but he, we, I did a, uh, we, we went to, um, the, it was a giant wedding convention, um, can't remember what they call it out here but it was you know like hundreds and hundreds of businesses show the wedding stuff and george found out that i was working at one time promoting my winery and he made it a point to come over he brought me the ooey gooey butter cake because he just walked over and brought to me said hey i knew you were here here you go like how many people that around the area would think of oh hey here's somebody who used to work for me you know seven eight years ago i gotta go bring him some food because i know he's here just like out of the graciousness of his heart like, he's such a good person like his laugh is ridiculously funny p- people in the business or people want to go someplace they feel welcome the the cheers like you want to yeah and, and i think Ameri- dude it was like the cheers for a while at frazier's all the industry people went yeah. there i think america really kind of got away from that and i think it's coming back we were just talking about this recently is the fact that i think that the local meat shop the local your butcher your fishmonger people that know your name they know what you want yeah you don't necessarily want to go to the grocery store and just buy some mass-produced stuff like you're going to take an extra five minutes out of your day to go to your local like fishmonger i think there's parts of the country where that never left but there's parts of the country where it left big time and i think that right now we're seeing a big comeback and from a restaurateur standpoint, I think we're starting to see that too. Like the the, the local restaurateur that is saying hello to everybody. You go to Crudo, Cullen's sitting at the bar saying hi to everybody. Yeah. You know, whereas there's a lot of other restaurants that open the valley that you never see the owner. You yeah, never see I the mean, manager. How many times do we go to, you know, we know it's a good restaurant um, and we know it'll be good food and whatnot, but it's grand opening. Hey, quickly sit down, have a good time. Here's our menu. And the servers are awesome. Great service. I will say I like the servers. They'll attend any, but you'll never get like maybe a manager to pop up. Hey, good, great, grand, wonderful. All right, bye. And then they go. You'll never ever see the owner by any means. Like they might pop out for another thing, but it's those small, intimate, nice restaurants where I will say I've seen it a lot more. The owner, even like a really like known bartender will always make sure that he at least says hi. Even if he's busy, like I'm walking out the door, but it's good to see you. Thanks for coming by. How's your kid? How's your wife? Nice to see you. I'll pop out your business one day and they'll show up one day. Did George came to my winery one time out of nowhere out of that? Bartenders are different though. I mean, I'm talking about the owners. Like this is something I think right now in Old Town, there's one or two places that do it. They're the one or two places that stay open. Like how much in, in, in all the years you've been frequenting Old Town Scasso, how much turnover do you see constantly? Everywhere? All the time. I can't tell you how much turnover moves around and, this area. It's and, unbelievable. And which which owners are saying hi to everybody? Uh, Peter Kaspersky, Cowboy Chow, and Cashmere's. Yep. Like you walk into that place, Peter's gonna find you, and he's gonna say hello. Like good yeah. good luck being in that place at night and not seeing Peter. Like yeah. that's what he does. Like he he 
gets to know the local people. Nona, uh, right there in Old Town. Um, Valentina, uh, she always makes sure to stop by your table and say, and, you know, she'll serve too, but she always wants to have a conversation with you for a couple minutes just to make sure, you know, you're enjoying everything. And she's not doing it to say, oh, how's the food? It's good. Okay, bye. She'll come to the table and say, hey, so how you doing? Welcome. You know, like, where are you from? How's your day going? You know, can I get you anything? What would you like to try? Like, yeah, I'm from here. This is my husband, the chef. And, you know, John's an awesome guy too. Uh, John's the chef there. It's her and uh, her husband. And they're such a fantastic couple. They'll sit down and talk to you for a while. And it's that intimate, nice relationship you get with an owner because so you want to support things like that. So John is the chef and Valentina is her, the wife. And she, you know, she makes amazing cocktails and she'll also serve the food as well. So it's those two. It's, it's that jack of all trades. When you have that person in the front of the house that will make a drink. All the they'll, personality. They'll seat you. They'll, they kind of do a little bit of everything. Like they terrible they, joke in there or something. But it's the reason to go back when you're sitting around on a Wednesday night going, man, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. What do you want to do? Like we can go here. No, why don't we go see Valentina over there? Like, it yeah. helps build it. Like yeah. I, I've gone, I've gone back because of them. I mean, their food is amazing, but I've gone back because oh, cool, let's go see what they're doing tonight. It's a real lost art in the restaurant business. I mean, yeah. that's the way it was for I think I mean hundreds of years. I wasn't alive back then, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the way it was. Yeah, the- right. They knew they were because they're sitting over there butchering like the actual animal right on the slab. And oh, what do you want today? Oh, hey, Mike's here. Let's actually cut that leg off that animal and make it for him. They knew. I'll tell you the one of the places in Italy we went to. Uh, the guy actually came out table side and would cut pasta to order. <laughs> and he would cut like angel hair like to order with a with a 200-year-old knife and a cutting board. It was insane. Something I've never seen anything like it before. And you know what's unfortunate and I'm seeing it now and it's cool concept, but I'm seeing table service of some places, but it's a gimmick. It's not that they wanted to do that because it was a restaurant. Like I went someplace recently and they did table side guac. I'm like, dude, it's guacamole. Like, I don't care that you're wasting your server's time making it by my table. Like I get, it's a cool niche thing, but that was their big, oh, we make the guacamole right by your table. Cool. Like it's always a gimmick. Doesn't whatever. Matter. It's been this way. And it's, it's, not, that, it's, it's not like that important. Like if the owner walked out and brought the bowl of guacamole, hey, you like this? Cool. Yeah, I own it. I hope you have a good time. If you need anything, let me know. I'd appreciate that more than if you brought a cool, fancy, uh, what do they call Like little bar carts out, chop it down and hammer out the guacamole. Like, dude, you just wasted your server's like time doing yeah, that, that. that. They that, hate it. I worked it. I hated it. But that's the showmanship. I mean, my f- it's a show. But that's yeah, it's a show. It might not be the reason you're going there, but there are people that go there for that. Yeah, and, of course. And whether it's tableside guacamole at a restaurant, whether it's the old classic steakhouse that did tableside Caesars, which yeah. is very famous. They, they, they do that too at this or, place. Or go back even farther and the people who used to do desserts, they'd actually have the manager or something come out and they do the flambe desserts. They do uh, ba- yeah. bananas fosters yep. and flame yeah. shoots up and all of a sudden like everybody in the restaurant wants it. Yep. I mean, it's showmanship. There's a place that I saw... Jose Andres. It comes back to him again. Comes back to the Verdejo. Gosh. Speaking of which, by the way, this so so I come back to Jose Andres. But so I'm pour a little more. I'll give a sh- I'm a, I'm, First of all, Jose Andres is such a great guy. What he's done for feeding communities in Puerto Rico during their hardships, and he's done this across the world. It just seems like when there's something going on in a country and there's there's somebody needs to be fed, it's like oh, Jose Andres shows up. <laughs> so, but kind of like Guy Fieri right now in yeah, North California. And, and Guy Fieri's helping out Northern California. Um, we ate at his restaurant, Jose Andres, in Vegas. And his uh, presentation for the smoked Manhattan was unbelievable. 
They would actually uh, smoke a board on the bar using a torch. Yeah. They would they would take a full large wine decanter and turn it upside down over the top uh-huh. of it, put the fire out, and let the decanter fill with smoke. The bartender would make the Manhattan, pour it into the wine decanter. This is a full large wine decanter, and then cap it. The server then goes tableside and pours it over a. I don't. I'm sure it was either a, either a sphere or a cube of beautiful ice. Yeah, like a crystal clear ice cube. Out of this decanter, smoking this fresh like oak, hickory, whatever oak they're doing. It was unbelievable. I was sitting. I, I watched them doing it at a bar, and then I watched them do it tableside when they brought it out. The room smells with that smoke oh, flavor. Oh, so good. All you want to do is order one. It's funny because as I say, that's a gimmick, but at the same time, it's such a cool thing. It is. And you know what? Here's the deal. I watched it. I wanted to order one. A year later, I'm talking about it on a podcast. It might be a gimmick. Right. It might it's be a gimmick, gimmick. But here we are talking. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm talking. I'm not mentioning the restaurant, but I guarantee there's enough people going. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking. There's about. There's a couple people in town that do table. And side by the block. way, it's the same people who own a few other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe Z Tejas is a corporate restaurant. Did they're, table I think side they're block. gone. I think Z Tejas no. is fully closed. No, they're still very much. There's none in the valley. Z. Yeah. They're all gone. Huh. Yeah, the one at the mall closed. I think the one on Mill closed. I thought they they went the Sabaros way. My the most unfortunate thing ever. I mean, I you know we were in Seattle, ran into Sabaros, greatest thing. But yeah, no, not Zetas around. These ones were um, um, a couple of the ones that are in Old Town Scottsdale that did it. Yeah, I. It's a. It's, it, it is. And by the way, they were delicious. I will say it was very very good. I I've just never it goes to the gimmick versus the. It goes to a show, which if you want a show, it's great. And the food is amazing. It absolutely is. But there is a huge difference to me of, you know, like a George coming out and sitting around talking to you um, versus if you go and get a show at a restaurant. Like, it's two totally different styles of food, basically. Or food presentation might be the right way. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, I'm not sure, but I don't think Z Tejas necessarily changed their menu a lot. They were also known for their Chambord margaritas. Yeah, everybody knew the margaritas. Well, they, it was weird because it was the you, you had a limit of I think two. Yeah, and that's all yeah. you're allowed air, to have. Air quotes, two or three. But even you go to the bar, you ordered your one, and you sat down. Like that server knew you already had one at the bar. Like, mm-hmm. but that's part of what they were known for. Um, that it's crazy they closed, but they were in giant places. I I literally think that. America is getting away from this large package thing. I, I mean, the, the Walmarts of the world, the Home Depots of the world, the Total Wines of the world. I think people are really want to embrace their local communities. They want to support their local people. And I think they want to be educated. They want to go into a place and say, you know what? I'm serving this in my restaurant or I'm serving this in my place and this is why they want to hear the story versus this is $5. Do you want to buy it? Cause it's $5. Well, if it, maybe it's just me, but I'm starting to notice that obviously chains are starting to become less and less only because my thought on it is, is a chain doesn't adapt necessarily to the local area. So for instance, if you get uh, a restaurant that starts in, you know, let's go with, let's go with like a really obscure area, like a Illinois or a Michigan, and they've got their style of food up there and all of a sudden it blows up. And then they all of a sudden put it in New York, maybe in Indiana, maybe Ohio. They can be close enough to be like, oh, okay, I really enjoy this. But all of a sudden you take that chain from that Midwest, North, uh, Northeast area, and drop it into Phoenix, yeah, it'll be popular first because it's new and it's exciting. But then people go, 
it's not like the food that we want because it's not from our area. So then slowly but surely that chain kind of dies. And then they try it in a million different areas to get out as much as they can. And then slowly every single region starts to fade. Like there's one chain that I've kind of been noticing slowly but surely disappear across the country. And it's just kind of going back to where it was originally from because people don't like the style of food that they want from specific areas. Like you can't do, and I love it. It was one of my favorite. It was a very weird argument I had when my mom was at Fort Benning is the difference between barbecue in certain states and barbecue in other states that that barbecue sauce where you slather like a like a brisket and ribs and like actual sauce versus dry rub where the barbecue is just a rub it's not like a basic sauce or even the sauce where it was vinegar based or uh, there's another like a sweet based one and it's crazy different so you open up a chain of barbecue sauce that does sweet sauce and they hate it because they loved vinegar based ones instead it's being in America where you have such a large area and different styles of food, you can't take a chain from one area, move it to another, and I think expect it to last without adapting. And if you've got somebody in corporate up in New York saying, well, let's keep the same menu throughout the country, it's definitely not going to work in certain areas. Yeah, bean counters in corporate restaurant world often are a hindrance to the company's growth. Yeah. They're good when it comes to the structure. They're good when it comes to the numbers. But when it comes to what is actually important each and every region, often the bean counters don't always know that. And the successful restaurants identify that and they get it. Like, the, But other ones, you're right. I mean... Like, a, like, like, honestly, if you take like a Chipotle going into New York, it's still kind of Mexican food. But in a place like New York, they might not really want Mexican food up there versus if you stay within the Southwest and like California, that's a really something that people really appreciate is new styles of Mexican food. But if all of a sudden you took Mexican food and went to Montana, they'd be like, what is this? We eat steak and corn up here. I don't know. I'm sorry, Montana people. I don't know what you eat up there. I've never been there. I'm sure a lot of steak. Probably a lot of steak. Yeah, probably a lot of like really nice, like real good steak too. Like free range, grass fed, crystal clear air steak. When I travel for work, I always try and eat something. Or when we travel for fish, we always try and eat something local to that community. Oh, and what do we end up with? We had sushi. Sushi. Yeah, we were in Washington and we had fish. We have to. It was so good. What else? You're on the ocean. Yeah. Like I go to Idaho for work. I'm having steak and potatoes. Yeah. You go to. You went to Kansas. You're probably gonna have the best corn and like other things like. But you're not gonna have fish out there. Yeah. We went to Maryland. We're like we're getting blue crab. Blue crab. Like it was Baltimore oysters. Yeah. Yeah. Like and the craziest drink we've ever had in our entire life. (laughs) Uh, Colorado Palisade peaches. Mm. Yeah, I got to try those. You guys really hyped that up. Like, I, like it was one of the best fruits ever. <laughs> They're pretty amazing. I mean, it's not often you eat a peach and the juice drips off your elbow. Yeah, I can't wait to try a wine one day and go, you know what? This smells like a Palisade peach. Like this thing, like honestly, the Verdejo right now is starting to finally get more fruit to it more than that, you know, minerality towards it. Yeah, it, it, it's got this to me, though, gummy bear nose now. Like when you stick your like face in a thing of gummy bears and has that, I smell like sugary goodness. Okay. See, to me, this is starting to come down towards like, honestly, if I had this now and somebody poured it for me at this temperature and where it's at, I would actually assume this was a Chablis until I tasted it. And then there's too much body to it. And I'd be like, ah, it's not really, but the nose comes off that way towards me, that very light stone fruit. And now that it's kind of coming out a little bit, it's so vibrant and so fruity and like, it's It's so refreshing. Yeah. But when you drink it, it's not sweet. 
I might have to tweet about it. Tweet no sweet. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's a terrible pun. I, I for, pardon that one. For, for it being one of the most talked about grapes, I get it. I'm excited because I always fight the white wine drinkers of the world because so many people stick to what they drink when it comes to white wines. I'm really happy that something obscure is getting traction. Mm-hmm. I hope it continues. I want to see this trend next year where it's more than just Verdejo, where it's got Albarino is now on that list. And now Valentina is on that list. Yeah. And, and now maybe... You know, Arnaeus. I mean, I'll, Ooh, I'll forgot take, about that. That's a good one. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if I could choose an Arnaeus or this, I'm going to choose Arnaeus. Arnaeus is delicious. Yeah. You know what white wine might be? It's similar to food. People like very specific styles of food, and that's what they want to stick with. If you're a steak and potatoes kind of a person, you don't want to really, truly branch from your steak and potatoes. So maybe it's kind of in the same idea. But a red wine drinker is going to drink anything. Anything, yeah. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, I could walk up to somebody who likes red wine and be like, here, try this 42 grape blend. And they'll say, all okay. right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of states that are doing that. They're like, well, we don't have a very... I mean, Arizona's kind of one of them. We don't really have a very specific grape we want, so they just throw it all together, kitchen sink blend, and you know what? Turns out halfway decent. But if I walk up to a white wine drinker and say, here, try this white wine, they give you this look like, what do you, what'd you just pour me? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, they want to know the am, details of it and why I, they may or may not I, like am it. Am I gonna like it? Is it? Is, what is it? I don't know. Just try it. Like, they get they get kind of semi freaked out. Yeah, and white wine to me is universally like I think it falls in a smaller ceiling to floor spectrum than red wine can be all over the place. So. All right. So stats came out today. I always like to talk about stats. I'm a numbers guy. You know, once again, computer engineering guy. And I'm a like to guess and pretend I know what I'm doing kind of a guy. So. Uh, I have the stats for the states with the most wineries in America, 2018. The this most the most wineries or most wineries. Most wineries. Okay. It's not per capita. It's not based on size of the state. Well, of course, how of many, course, it's si- just how many are in the state. Of course, size of the state is going to matter because California is the biggest state. So, out there. are you telling me size matters? Yes. <laughs> I will. Yes. <laughs> sure does. All right. I'm not going to argue. Um, so, of course, California is number one. Of course. I'm going to go with Washington is number two. Washington is number two. Oregon, number three. Yep. I would say number four would be Texas. Now, when I went to school, I was taught number four was something different than what it is. Number four is now Texas. I was taught number four at that point was New York. Uh, I would have assumed Virginia. Okay, so so New York. So so Texas has come a long way because Texas is number four. They're also so freaking big. It's a huge industry. But I had a friend of mine who actually quit. Uh, his job as a supplier to go work as a winemaker or part-time winemaker or assistant winemaker or part owner or whatever of a winery in Texas. And I was blown away. I'm like, really? Texas is like, it's a huge industry yeah. out there. Think of all the different, you know, temperatures and climates. You could probably get away with a lot of cool stuff out there. All right. So. I mean, there's literally a city called Grapevine. <laughs> so number four is Texas. Number five is New York. I'm going to go ahead and assume six of then Virginia, being Virginia is a large industry. No, we already talked about this, and you still got it wrong. I still got it wrong. That's right. Oh, it's Michigan. <laughs> Fuck. Michigan. What? That's that's up there. That like, one surprised that's, me. That's, that's right next to Canada. That's next to our northern border wall. Those Canadians. Ugh. I know. Freaking, they're geese. Canada is number seven in our list. <laughs> so, so number six, Canada. They need to build a wall to stop those damn geese from coming down here. <laughs> I don't know. They, they, those are some good cooking, though, too, I think. 
I, can we can we shoot them down here? Oh, it's Arizona. We could probably shoot anything. <laughs> yeah, we're the only state you can like buy a gun at Circle K. All I know is you get on a golf course and they absolutely crap on everything. So and they're mean. They're so, so mean. Yeah, oh, yeah. Goose. Oh Geese? my god. Gooses. Gooses. Geeses. Geeson. A gaggle of goosen. <laughs> it's goose. Or, so I'm sorry, it's geese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's geese. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So number seven after after Michigan. Uh, after Michigan. So number seven is that Virginia? Nope. What else is around then? Crap. Like Wh- where are all the Idaho? Where are all the Amish? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Oh, all right. A little PA in there. Wait, but but it's like uh, one of the h- most harshest controlled states for liquor sales. Dealing with the PLCB, I mean, but, it's... But making it versus selling it might be different or buying it. Like, it's like uh, like Jack Daniels is in a dry county. <laughs> so, number eight, Virginia. There it is. I think Virginia's going to move up. I'll be honest. I've been very impressed with Virginian wines. It's the only other state recently that I've been impressed by. I wonder how their growing season goes, only because there's a good chance a hurricane is going to probably hit some area over in that area versus California might just burn to the ground, but at least the weather's pretty consistent. It's sun and some rain at some point that you hopefully don't get hit by. Are there vineyards near the coast or are they inland more in the mountains? Good question. I actually don't know. Are they closer to moonshiner country? Are they closer to the mountain up in the Appalachians? Are they closer to like naval bases? Hmm. That's a good question. It is. I don't know much about the industry. Actually, I have a friend named Erin. She's worked for Virginia Wineries. I've actually, she's the one who changed my mind on Virginian wines. I had a girl who worked for me at my uh, winery. She sent some Virginia wines over, and I'm not going to try them yet. <laughs> Honestly, the ones that Erin brought last time, half them blew my mind. They were really, really, really good. I if wonder I, what their main grape that they're going after. They do over b- there is. B- Bordeaux blends. Bordeaux blends. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I know at least New York's consistent. Like I've had Cab Franc and Merlot from there. That's nice. But their white wines are killer up in New York. So that's some good Gruner, some good Riesling. There's a few people messing around with some Saw Blanc. Right. I had a Chenin Blanc one time. It was a sparkling wine up there. Ooh, that had some sugar in it. So, so what else is there? So some other. Well, first of What's all, an we, obscure one. That's we, in we, there? we 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 have to actually make sure that I know my U.S. geography. Are you because looking states, at it without the name of the states? states? are not listed, so I'm pretty good at U.S. geography, though. Oh, I can co- see the co- map co- now. Okay. Co- Colorado's 12. Yeah, there's that whole, what, northwest region that they're trying to put stuff in. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm really shocked at Arizona at 22. Yeah. Because with the amount of promoting that Arizona's doing for their wine industry, yeah. with them getting recognition with some of the major publications... With the amount of sheer juice that we're doing, I would put us ahead of some of these other states, but maybe I just don't know much about well, Wisconsin. I was going to say, now that I'm looking at your map, it blows my mind that that entire Midwest is packed with wineries. That That's it. It's Look at that. What is that? That's Minnesota at 19, Iowa at 15, Arkansas at, oh, it's 38. Missouri at 10. Missouri at 10? Oh, but isn't the very first AVA in Missouri or Arkansas? The very first AVA in America is up there. But Illinois, like all Illinois. these... Yeah. A lot of this, these little Midwestern places that I never thought were... Ohio coming in at 9. Look at this. This is my favorite thing. Look at the right smack in the middle. West Virginia at 36. They're sticking to their liquor. 
Totally. <laughs> Screw this. They don't need none of this wine That's nonsense. Funny. They, they have and this Tennessee at 27. They they're have, like, nope. They have it all damn liquor. color coded. And yeah. Okay. Everywhere you would make bourbon or whiskey has like no vineyards. <laughs> Good for you guys. So Louisiana, 44. What do you grow in Louisiana? How is Florida so co- 18, by so the way? So can we, can we talk about the fact that there are six states that actually make less wine than Louisiana? Well, Hawaii and Alaska will be two of those. I don't know. You tell me. I'm going with Hawaii and Alaska. All right. So Hawaii's 40. Maine, probably. Hawaii's 45. So wait, were they 46? 44. Okay. So I got that one. Alaska's 49. Okay, cool. Maine. No, 31. What? There's a lot. It's got to be all those. Blueberry. Yes, there's a lot. So for everybody who's listening, by the way. Well, Hawaii has pineapple. Pineapple, yeah. So you wine technically is anything made from fruit. It's not necessarily grapes. So if you made it from pineapples, uh, in Maine's case, I'm assuming probably blueberries. Um, I'm assuming that they're doing a lot of German style wines. What would you do in Florida? No, it's just like Canadian wines. You do ice wine. Uh, You do Rieslings. You do... But yeah. I'm even shocked that I'm shocked. Honestly, Florida, I think, is the one that shocks me the most at 18. Vermont, 30. Okay, I could. Yeah, Vermont is just not far behind Arizona. Yeah, it is weird that Arizona is as low as it is with how much we promote. It. And by the way, we have Maynard from Tool, like, you know, on the main front of the charge for that one. All right, so we're 22. Who? How about New, New Mexico next New, door? I know they tw- make a ton of wine. Twenty-five. Okay. Now that's that's Gruet. all Gruet. Yeah, Gruet's got to be. Or the big according guy. to John, Gruet. Gruet. <laughs> also, ironically, Cocopelli wine in Arizona. I, I, <laughs> I think it's actually it might be Gruet. Yeah, it's not French. It's not French. It's yeah. New Mexican. Gruet. You can't drop the last. You, if you're not I, French, you can't drop the last T. You know how I wonder how many puns they get in when somebody walks in and goes, "I am Gruet." All right. So the state just after us, twenty-three. Twenty-three. Ooh. Uh, let's go with Wyoming. No, 48. <laughs> oh, shit, way fucking off. Wyoming? Wyoming has, has an, nothing. There's she, not even people in Wyoming. Cheyenne has an average annual snowfall in June. <laughs> 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 All right, I'll leave. I'll just let that month blow your mind for a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's I also of, more buffalo in Wyoming than there is probably people. I thought of moving there, and then uh. I saw that stat. If I'm not mistaken, I think Wyoming is one of the only states in the country that has like one district or like one county, and it's just the whole damn state. <laughs> All right, so 21, because if we're 22, 21. It can't be Nevada. There's nowhere you could grow. It's definitely not Utah because, you know. No, I think they just screwed up and left 21 off this map. Oh, there it is. East Coast? Uh, I got to point to it at the map because I'm not quite sure which state that is. <laughs> that, my friends, is good old Kentucky. Kentucky, you're right. All right, so Kentucky makes more wine than Arizona. How? How do you have all the bourbon and whiskey in that area? And, and the state after us is... Mexico. No, that was 25. Nope. It's where Rupric was going to move. Rupric? Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. I have no idea what that is. Uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, sh- I haven't seen that movie since I was probably like 10. Yep. Oklahoma. Oklahoma, where they make no wine. Or in this case, obviously they do. Obviously 40, they do. If, with all the plains out there, I think of Oklahoma like growing like wheat and tornadoes. Yeah, like the Central Valley, like you just make bulk wine. 
I just think I think they literally just make tornadoes. <laughs> tornadoes, and, cows, and that's about it. And fast cars. Corn, little oil. Great oh. football teams, by the a way. A lot of oil. A lot of oil. Oh, there's nothing else. I've I've used to do business out there and everybody in Oklahoma, sooner, 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 sooner. There's you pull somebody and get them to move out, still that's all they talk about is sooners. Yeah. It is funny. We had a buddy move to Tulsa and they all went, Why? Like, oh, I'm going to go to San Francisco. Oh, I have a great job. I'm going to go to New York. Have fun. I'm going to move to Austin. Oh, that's amazing. I'm going to move to Tulsa. Really? I thought it was funny. My, uh, a buddy of mine moved from Texas to Arizona. And in Texas, Friday night, it's all about high school football. Crazy. The high school football stadiums in Texas sell out 30, 40, 50,000 seat stadiums. They're, they're building huge stadiums for high school football it's like professional sports for them and it's so, high school so my buddy moved out here got a job we were waiting tables uh he took a friday night off to go peruse the high school football scene <laughs> and he might have ended up on a watch list at the I, end i was gonna say that sounds super <laughs> creepy doesn't it this so, is the wrong time to do that how so in texas somebody gets a friday night off and they peruse the high school football scene like you just had a hell of a friday night off like that's a big deal in arizona you're now on a watch list yeah <laughs> like he was so shocked. He's like, he's like, man, people are looking at me weird. He's like, I'm crashing these games. Or like, who is this guy? Like, meanwhile, the best football team, high school football team in Arizona, would show up to a Texas team and get smothered. <laughs> yeah, we have some good players that come out of here, but players, but not full teams. Yeah, what they do in Texas, it's nuts. Yeah, everybody's just eating all that corn and steak. <laughs> I wonder if that's going to change as as the CTE thing goes on and parents pull their kids out and say, you know what? I'd rather you play golf and make 10 million than you play football and make eight. Dude, soccer, man. That's what I'm telling you from one of our original podcasts. We was t- I was talking about soccer is going to rise. I'm telling you, watch football go down and, you know, the European football go up. Well, they, they said that's the reason why soccer's never taken off in America because an athlete, you know, when I went to high school, the people who were athletes, they were good at all sports. This guy could play baseball, football, basketball. Like the best athletes of my school, they could played play all the sports. They played all the sports. Yeah. They got to choose where they went to college, typically, and it was whatever one they excelled the most in. And they had the option. And soccer was never even in nope. consideration. Whereas if you grew up in Europe, mentally, you're you're training your body to play soccer. That That's that's your ultimate end goal. That's mm-hmm. what you're trying to get to, is to play soccer. Or yeah. f- football. Football. You know, what, what drink... I, so I'm thinking like of drinks that pair well with sports and everybody football and beer goes hand in hand. That is what it is. What like what sport would you go to where you would drink wine and watch? Bullfighting. Oh, you know, I guess it's not really a sport, though, because it's one dude like slaughtering an innocent cow. But. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, well, there's only so many places. Le- I mean, I guess if you were in Spain, you were doing it, but I can't I don't like think- if you went to soccer, they don't probably even let you drink in the stadium. People would just be fighting all the time. I, I don't think of as. Wine is wine is a condiment. Like I don't want to drink mustard and ketchup while I'm at a sporting event. Like that's <laughs> yeah. But however, if you buy a hot dog, that's you know twenty bucks at a stadium. You get all the condiments for free. I don't feel like having wine ever at a sporting event. Like yeah, I was, guess you really wouldn't. Like even if you were drinking like sparkling wine or champagne somewhere, you wouldn't. But that, really maybe that maybe that perception will change as I get older. Maybe it's funny because it's beer. It's beer and probably certain liquors. I also think that wine, wine for the volume, we talked about this last episode, just gets you drunk. Like, yeah. But think about how good of a time we had at the show when we were drinking the white wine when we were in. Yeah, the seven minutes it took me to drink two bottles of wine out of a solo yeah, cup. We went, we pounded that one. 
I, I didn't pound it. I just drank it out of a solo cup, like yeah. as if it was a cocktail or a beer. Yeah. You know, but I'm drinking. It's weird the perception of a solo cup versus a glass. All of a sudden, you go through an entire white wine glass that quick. And maybe because I wasn't swirling it, like I do have a little massaging and little, like, as I say, a little foreplay with my wines before I drink them. Like half of the time the wine sits here, I'm just sitting there swirling around, staring at it, looking at it in the glass, seeing how this looks, seeing how you can see through it. Right. I'm really, actually, this, I'm liking this, uh, this Weigel a lot more now. It's funny, even though it's opening up, it's still staying the same. It's not really changing much. Like, I'm not getting a crazy amount of... So, to me, when a white wine... Or, excuse me, a red wine opens up a little bit, I tend to get a little more oakiness to it and, obviously, alcohol, but I'm not getting it at all. It's just, uh, this it's might just be, staying the same. It might be unoaked, to be honest. Possibly. Um, if you and I went to 10 local restaurants right now, tonight, I don't think we'd find a Zweig on a single list. Dude, there were only two of them at the store I got it at. And it, or, I'm sorry, there were only three at the store I got. Like, think about... Old Town Scottsdale, good wine programs. You know, of course, Cowboy Chow. a lot of good ones. Ca- Cowboy Chow's probably going to have one. I don't know if Olive and Ivy's going to have one. Um, I don't know if. I Co- wonder about, yeah, not those ones. Well, well, Olive and Ivy has a full wine cellar. They have, they have Prado a, has a large wine plus. cellar. I don't think Prado would have it. No. They're, they they concentrate a lot on European Damn, wines, but there's one in North Spanish? Scottsdale that's got a big one, too. But, but, uh, but just look at Old Town. Like, look at. Bourbon, bourbon steak. I don't think they'll uh, have. I don't think I'll have a Zweig out. Not bourbon and bones. What's what's the one that Bur- was bur- bourbon steak at the Princess? Yes, that one. Right. The guy who runs that, Jason, will Jason. be will be on the show. He'll yeah. be a, he'll be a regular personality. Jason, like, we can break out some cool geeky wines with. Yeah, because is, is he particular? <laughs> no. So Jason and I worked together at a restaurant when he got his first job out of the pool hall business. He was like <laughs> a pool hall awesome. bartender. And got a job with me at a wine bar, and he knew nothing about wine. And I'll be honest, I consider him to be one of the top five to ten people in the state when it comes to wine. Awesome. He's uh, he's amazing. He's confidence goes a long way in the wine business because yeah, you got to s- convince somebody to drink that Verdejo versus that Chardonnay. And that guy's always had a lot of confidence, but he has the knowledge to back it up, so that when he does say something that you're not sure about what he's saying, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. He's got the knowledge to back it up. Yeah. He's got a good personality, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something that Arizona has needed. I think Arizona has always needed somebody to lead the sommelier charge out here. We've had a couple master psalms that worked out here, but they never led the charge. They yeah. just kind of worked their job. They're like, I'm a master psalm, and I'm just going to work at my business. Did you happen to see, and I think it was last month, wine enthusiast or one of those guys did their you know usual top 100 restaurants in the country and there was only one arizona restaurant and I, honest to god i never even heard of that restaurant before and i don't know what it is and i still I honestly don't know i gotta go get the magazine and look at it but i was like what where is this from i've never even heard of this and so yeah it's it's just it's weird for being a neighbor to california a budding wine industry that's going the restaurant industry, I think, is taking off. I think people are finally starting to appreciate the food that we can grow, and especially with a lot of steak and Mexican food. But we have no real, true wine industry that's promoting a bunch of stuff. I am confident in saying we have one of the top culinary teams running the restaurant business in Arizona. It's getting there. Yeah, absolutely. I, we don't get the press. I, I travel for work for a living. They, I go to Los Angeles, I go to San Francisco, and people are like, go eat at this restaurant, this restaurant, this restaurant. 
They send me to the, the what people consider the top restaurants, and all I think of is like it's not as good as what this guy's doing in Arizona. Yeah, not as good as we don't get the press, and I, I, I know we a lot of those chefs want the press. I don't always want them to get it because I like the fact that I can get into the restaurants at mm-hmm. all times and see them and talk to them for a minute. <laughs> but but also we don't necessarily have a lot of them, and I think that's also the problem we have out here in Phoenix. When you go to Portland, there is a a abundance of great chef to table cuisines and restaurants that are that just have amazing wine lists and they're doing things right and when you have 50 of them i think it's hard to really push yourself above all the 50 of them where here we have nine and all nine are doing a great job yeah you know i mean (laughs) f&b boats elements you have guys that have been at atlas bistro you have Elements has a very good one. Yeah. yeah. What's the, the one at the Phoenician? Uh, John George. That one's another one that they're trying. Did you hear that uh, Joel Robichon died, passed away? Really? Yeah. No, I didn't. Ro- Robichon, one of the most powerful, most influential people in the culinary world, passed away today. Wow. If you've never eaten at Robichon's, like, it's... Yeah. No, I did not know that. To me, it's one of the top two restaurants you'll ever eat in Las Vegas. When someone goes, Damien, you know Las Vegas, recommend restaurants. I recommend... I've been recommended it twice and never had a chance to eat there because it was either packed or... It's so expensive. Or it's just... Yeah, that's actually really what it came down to on one occasion. I mean, I, I tell people, like, if you have the funds, don't skip going to Robichon. No. But go to Lotus of Siam, go here, oh, go the great, there. The greatest Thai restaurant in Las Vegas. I'll... I, I have dreams of that place. I really do. It's amazing. Their man, their wine menu is crazy. <laughs> it's one of the best. It's one of the best Thai restaurant wine lists in the nation. I love the fact they stick to their guns. They say this is what we're gonna do. I've 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 tried to sell wine to Thai restaurants all over the West Coast, and people are like, people don't buy wine here. People don't buy buy wine here, and I'm like, it's because your wine list is horrible. If you if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Lotus put together one of the best wine lists that you'll ever see at a Thai restaurant. And it wasn't in a fancy restaurant. It wasn't in a fancy location. They put out amazing food with a great wine list. And the community embraced it. And then all of a sudden, the the United States embraced it. Like, it went beyond just the local Psalms. Like, yeah. it has become a destination. People go to Vegas to go to Lotus of Siam. Like, <laughs> to drink old vintage Riesling and eat would, spicy-ass Thai food. I hope we get to that point where someday... You know, we start having people come to the valley and just what restaurant do I want to go to? Um, and they immediately say, you know, whether it's a Nona or a Fraser, somebody, because every single time I have people come into my mind, they go, oh, where should I eat? And I always recommend them. OK, what do you want? Do you want Mexican? Do you want Thai? Do you want more of like Americanized Italian? Do you want? And I ask them, like, I have to treat it like a wine, like. What do you want? What do you feel like? And let me break it down versus, hey, I heard this restaurant. Where is it? And how do I get there? I've, I don't think I've ever actually heard anybody go, I got to go here. I heard it was amazing. I, and I think that will be a change one day when somebody comes, hey, listen, I heard this amazing restaurant like Citizen Public House. How do I get there? Where is it? Whatever. Oh, yeah, it's two blocks north. Go here. And it's a five hour wait list or something. <laughs> I mean, Bianco's has a reputation here uh, for pizzas. pizza joint. Yeah. Um, Binkley's. Of course. I don't know if you've ever done Binkley's. I wish... I've actually never been to Binkley's, and I know he had, what, three restaurants, and now he's down to the one. He consolidated everything into that awesome little joint. It's funny. I was about to say, I wish Binkley's had someplace 
a little more casual that put out quality food, but he's tried it, it didn't work. Yeah. Or it he he just said, you know what, I'm gonna do this. Also as a restaurateur, it's gotta be difficult to try and run three kitchens at once. It's hard enough to run one, one kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're trying to put out your vision, your cuisine, and you have to put out your vision at a restaurant you're not even in because you're working at the other one. It's gotta be difficult. Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of the best restaurants we have in Atlas is at BYOB, and that's not a very small one, too, and I can't imagine how difficult it is to run that restaurant. <laughs> oh, they couldn't. I mean, well, they couldn't run a second without having a second head chef. If the head chef took the night off, if he got sick, the restaurant would have to close, because that's all they have. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, I never really talked to the owners at Atlas about what would happen if all of a sudden the chef was sick for a week? What would, ha- would happen if he got the flu? You're right. I mean, I guess a sous chef would have to really step up, but then he's Who'd like the only chef in the place. But the, the, the head chef does course like one and four. The sous chef does course two, three, and five. If the head chef's off, yeah, dude. the sous chef's not doing five all cor- every course. He's freaking out making every single solitary Good thing. luck with that. Yeah. I do like the cool concepts that do pop up, like uh, Pig and Pickle, and like how all the random food that they have on there. The first time I ate there, it's 80% of the menu. I didn't have any clue what any of that food was, and it was I've never had a bad meal ever once. I like the fact they transitioned from doing fine dining, Atlas-type food. Was that how it started? Yeah. The no, o- I didn't know that. The owners were at Atlas yeah, originally, at Atlas. Yeah. and they wanted to do comfort neighborhood food, but good comfort neighborhood food. And they went to a neighborhood that needed it, that other restaurants had gone in there and struggled, and I think they've done very well. We also really awkwardly have a good food truck scene blowing up. Is it still a good food truck scene? I'm going to say it's plateauing. It's like hovering at this, they're good, but there's nowhere for them to go. I see them at festivals. Uh, I've seen them on the Friday night Fifth Avenue like run, but... I never see food trucks in Old Town unless somebody buys one. Like, uh, like uh, for instance, uh, my dad got like one night. Uh, he had Colbert and Cheeseburgers food truck at the house. I don't see that. But if you go downtown Phoenix, there's a lot roaming. And even then, it's rare. But they're good. They're real good. But there's no, I, I guess, scene for it. You're right. In the, a couple of years ago, like they, they were... You see them at festivals everywhere. They were doing like the food truck circle down across from like Evo there. They were doing yeah, yeah, like, that's that Fifth Avenue thing I'm talking are about. They, are they still doing that? I I saw it recently, okay. but I saw less. I thought it maybe stopped because I haven't heard or seen anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I've just seen them go in front and park in front of a hotel or something like that. I mean, there's a there's the place called the Beer Shop up the street here um, that they always have a food truck out front, which, by the way, I'm going to just say horrible name. Like, you can't Google the beer shop and come up with your location. Just like the local. Like, our, no, our buddy, yeah. owned, it's not like the perfect name. We talked about this. My buddy owned a restaurant called The Local. You type in Local Phoenix, you know how many restaurant things you're going to come up with? Every fucking thing. Yeah. Like, everything that's local in Phoenix, you're definitely not going to come up with your Every restaurant. <laughs> like, I've learned that these little things, like, oh, my God, that's perfect, because everybody types, like, Local Phoenix restaurant. Like, that'll be perfect. They'll always get my restaurant. Like, no, they won't. They're going to get everybody else's restaurant that's a Local Phoenix restaurant. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a good idea. It did. And, well... Did you just have trouble pronouncing the word did? I said did, and I meant to say do, and I think I said <laughs> dude. God. <laughs> you were just to that point. This Zwiegelt. Now, nah, the Zweigel is getting to me. No, it's actually really good, though. 
It's fun too. You know why I like drinking with some of these wines like this is just because it's such a low alcohol content that you're not getting bombed out on a couple glasses. Granted, we've only hit half of these bottles, but so I'm not sure about the importer on this Weigelt, but once again, the Jorge Odenia's wine, uh, which is the actual producer is Argami. It's their old vines, Verdejo 2016. It's out of Rueda. Uh, the Rueda is the top region for growing Verdejo in Spain. Yep. So, but if I was looking at a wine, if I wanted to buy a Spanish wine and I didn't have any clue on what to get, I would gravitate towards this importer if I saw it in a wine shop, just because I know that what they put out and what they import in the United States is really good. When it comes to French wines, I will gravitate towards Kermit Lynch. When it comes to Italian wines, I'll gravitate towards Vias. I'll gravitate towards Empson. There's certain producers I'm like... Mm-hmm. When I turn this bottle around and I see it, I know it's good. There's other producers that are mass producers that there's, they, they might have some mediocre stuff in the middle of it. That I just like to see people just try a little bit more different styles of wines instead of just sticking to their guns on their Pinot or their Sauv Blanc. And honestly, now that I'm smelling the Verdejo a little more, it, I get the sweetness now. It smells like a sweet fruit, but it doesn't come off any way, shape, or form sweet. Like, there's no sugar in this. and But there's, like, a sweetness to the nose now, especially now that it's kind of warmed up a little. It's got this, like, overriped, overripe peach characteristic that's going on. Like, you just kind of, like, let them overly, like, get a little too mushy. Yeah. Yeah, I get where you're, I get where not, you're at with not, that. Not, not in a bad way. I'm not... This is just where... It's fun to see how this wine is also progressed. This is actually a wine that changes as, you know, you sit there and drink it. Where Versus the Zweigalt is just staying the same, which isn't a bad thing. It's actually nice to drink. It, to me, the Zweigalt is still very unilateral. Yeah. Medium to light bodied, peppery, not oaky. This white wine has changed 20 times since I've been sitting here talking to you. Yeah. And it's still been refreshing the entire time, which has been nice. It's funny. Sometimes I can just look at how much of the bottle is gone to see how which one we like better. But they're about even. They're about even. Yeah. But I think think one day we crushed one bottle before we went out the other one. I think this Weigelt, though, we're we're trying to really understand it because it is so unique. Where I've had wines very similar to the Verdejo before. This is very similar to an Albarino. This is very similar to a a Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc with all the tropical fruit. Yeah. If, if you take away the oak of some of the high-quality Napa Valley Sauvignon Blancs, this has that tropical papaya mango It finishes like a Sauv Blanc. Yes. That's a good, yeah, I like that because it does finish like a Sauv Blanc. But not, not, not French, not New Zealand. No, like an like Americanized one Napa, like that. Napa Valley. Yeah. And, and, and I know they, I, I think of like something like Mary Edwards. Yeah. Because I think of her, the tropical fruit you get out of yeah, those. Yeah, Absolutely. Where it's not so cold that it's got that bone dry minerality to it, and it's not the New Zealand Sauv Blanc gooseberry kind of, you know, cat pee characteristic. But that's a whole other thing. I'll be honest, I could drink this all night long. Like this is a wine that I could easily just grab a case, put it around, just drink it every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Yeah. And most people would ask you what it was. They'd be like, "Oh, I like that. What is that? Oh, it's Verdejo." And they'd be like, "Oh, that's amazing." And then they never drink it again. <laughs> Personally, I wish it had a touch more acid, based well, on my palate. This is. My palate is all about acid, acid, acid. Mm. I like the, the more acidic, the better. Give me a bone dry Riesling. Give me something from, 
you know, Valisarco. Like, I love high acid wines. Okay. So I wish this was... See, I like really aromatic wines. Like, I'm a huge Viognier, Tarantes, like, Gewürztraminer fan. I don't know what it is. I just love the the smell of wine sometimes as much as I like the taste of it. Which is actually ironic, because I love... I mean, well, I love IPAs, which kind of makes sense in some way. It's funny now that you say Tarantes. Oh, and Scotch. Now that you I say- smell Scotch, like a good Islay Scotch from, like, 50 feet away. <laughs> I was going to say, now that you smell Toronto or you said Toronto's, now I want to like compare this to what my brain thinks about Toronto's because it does have those characteristics. A little bit. Perfuminess. Yeah. But a a good Toronto's can smell from a distance. Like you got to get, it's very fragrant. This Verdejo is very fragrant, but you got to get your nose into the glass and it's super potent. Versus Toronto's, you could be a good foot away from it and smell it. I don't know. Hold your nose like above this wine. This has, this is. Very aromatic. Yeah. Like, I'm very, I'm actually very impressed. But, however, if you put a Viognier on the table, you could smell it. And I'll be honest, I I, I typically hate gloss labels, but this actually has a embossed gloss label. Yeah, there's also a texture to it that feels cool. Really impressed. Like, definitely, uh, I would definitely recommend this. Um, I would recommend this to friends that are just hanging out, want to wine by the pool. Friends that want a something to branch them out of Pinot Grigio or branch them out of Sauvignon Blanc. I would not give this to my buttery Chardonnay drinkers. Nope. I would give this to my red wine drinkers that want to try and drink whites to try and start it off. Yeah. Branch out into other things. Um, I'm trying to think of like people that you would recommend this to. Um, I wouldn't recommend this. It's just to me, it doesn't have the acid for some things. I don't want this with cheese and salami. I don't want this with my charcuterie board. I don't want this with. I think this is a good food wine. This is a good food white wine. I think it's a good pool white wine. Mm. I think this pairs yeah. better with sunshine and a body of water. <laughs> yeah, well, out here, yeah. we get all of that. But it does. To, to me, I think this this literally pairs better with a body of water than it would be with food. Just <laughs> I like that. Pairs better with a body of water than food. <laughs> I mean... Lake, ocean, pool, doesn't matter. Yeah, that's... That's a good tasting note. Pool's great, or... Uh, pairs better... Pairs better with your pool. Pairs best with a body of water. Yep. I think I'm, I'm going to copyright that with uh, wine facts. <laughs> with wine facts. Every episode. We're going to make some very weird tasting notes. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't, I don't consider it weird. I mean, it's just how I feel. Yeah. That's the best way. I mean, if we can get away with the whole, you know, I've, I've looked on the back of bottles and seen, oh, this tastes like cinnamon and gooseberry and it pills well with this. You know, sometimes it might be the environment might be better for the wine than the actual flavors and food of the wine. Like pair is best with five friends instead but of one date or don't something. Don't you feel they just rinse and reuse this stuff over and over? Like, yeah. oh, it pairs You can just with, give up on it and just copy your neighbors. And it pairs it's well with different. cheese and fatty meats. It's like, great. This pairs I, well with bowling ever- and three of your friends and you losing. And you know what? It would be fantastic. <laughs> That's a tasting note. Yeah. That, that makes more sense than pairs with cheese and fish. You know what this Verdejo would pair great with? Jet skiing. <laughs> Body of water. Body of water. <laughs> That's it. Change the tasting when, note. When you're Lock skiing for the first time down a, in the water and you fall and hit your face, you know what's going to taste great after that? Verdejo. I, I, I don't want this with oysters. I don't want this with shrimp cocktail. I don't want this. I, I want this on my friend's boat. Yeah. Bucket of ice. Yeah. You know. You in a conversation with your friends just hanging out on the lake. I mean, that, that to me, that's the perfect pairing for this wine. Like Absolutely. Just friends in a body of water. All right, so the Zweigalt, what are we pairing that with? Oh, you got to get yourself a little. All right, so to me, though, 
this is kind of also a little difficult to pair this with because it doesn't have the structure. Mm-mm. And it's not light enough where you could drink it outside in the temperature oh we're at right now. Honestly, th- this this wine, if I blind tasted this, I'd be wrong. Yeah, I would have thought Gamay immediately or Beaujolais. I would think I would go Fran- French 100%. I would guess either Beaujolais, Cru Beaujolais. By the way, when you said Gamay or Beaujolais, they're... Same thing. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, Kind of the same thing, depending on where they're grown. Grape. Or honestly, I, I would honestly think a very light-bodied Cote Roti... Uh, Crow's Hermitage. Um, oh, I could see that. Because yeah. when you go to Herm- Hermitage, has all that pepper in it. So I would want this still with appetizers. I want this with something early in the night. I would want this with. If I'm having this with the pool, I'm having this after the I I towel off and I'm just hanging out BSing <laughs> with my friends. Yeah. Like I don't want it goes well with pool, but not water, but with actual yes. billiards. <laughs> well, I before I have dinner, I want this wine. I want yeah. this th- in the in between when the sun is going down before I switch over. To I my would dinner. start with this and then work yeah. into other things. Like this is what's opening it up for me. I, if I was not having a white wine and I was starting with a red, this is a good red to start with. Yeah. If you're gonna serve it with food. And you're gonna use meats, something like like the peppered soprasada. Yeah, your antipasto. Think about think about that soprasada that has the hunk the, the peppercorns in it. Yeah. With this. Yeah. It's got the right amount of acid, but not too much. It doesn't have the backbone and the structure you're gonna get out of Cavs, Barolos, Sagevese's, Tabernillos. I could see why this is popular though. You know why? Because it's fruity, it's easy to drink, it's not expensive. And honestly, I think the biggest thing is the name is so weird that maybe just enough people gravitated towards it a little bit. I think name, we talked about this. I think name throws people off. Yeah. I think they people, see Zweigalt. What? Z? All right. I guess you it's know, easier to pronounce. 12, 15 bucks. Okay, sure, you, I'll try it. You can't mispronounce it too many ways. I mean, I can. You give me a you, chance, you, I will ruin I don't everything. Think you, I don't think you can mispronounce this more than like three or four different ways. <laughs> Zwigelt. Zwigelet. <laughs> Zwigelet. French. Z- Z- Maybe Z- the Z is silent. Maybe it's just Wigel. <laughs> Wigelet. Wigelet. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> you, are ki- you are killing this. Uh, just the worst. <laughs> We're, I'm going to definitely have this whole like flashcard like John pronounces. <laughs> Yeah. So on that, I would say when it comes down to it with my last sip of Verdejo, I'm excited about this wine. This is a great white wine, Arizona wise. Uh, It's nice. It's refreshing. It's acidic. It's got great flavors. It's unique enough that, you know, if you let it sit there and open up a little bit, it'll definitely change um, when it comes to the Zwagale. <laughs> I'm gonna say that from now on, just out of principle. Zwagale. It's a it's a good red wine to try. I definitely think everybody should at least give it a shot to see if it's something that they would like. Um, it's not expensive, easy drinking. I'm gonna say it's for your Pinot Noir drinkers. Yes. It's for your Beaujolais Village drinkers. It's for the people who like something with a little bit lighter bodied. Absolutely. Your, 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 your father would not like this wine. No. This is not Napa Cab Drinker's wine. This is not a big bowl. Because it definitely has, a, to me, a lighter bodied. Um, it's it's something I said earlier in the night. Yeah. Well, on that, that was fun. That was nice trying some cool, funky wines. And uh, Yeah, keep we'll tweeting. Keep yeah. Um, tweet Barolo, please. Tweet some other things, because I 
I mean, as much as I love Zweigel, I'd rather drink some. Uh, yeah, maybe next time we bust out a Barolo, or maybe we do Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo, next time. just yeah. everyone, everyone tweet Nebbiolo, so that could be one of our uh, top tweeted yeah. things. Because Nebbiolo, we're gonna do a million times. I'm gonna like that. So we are. All right, hi John. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Have Thanks, a night. guys. Night. <laughs>